welcome to the Heartbeat for Hire podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Dowd. My goal is to help train leaders and sales organizations how to manage and deliver results with empathy, compassion, and kindness. Let's get started. Greetings and welcome to this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. I'm really excited to introduce our guest to you today. Carl Swanepoel is an award-winning tech entrepreneur based in the UK and founder and CEO of Revelancer, an influential figure in the freelancing industry. He's also founded Rocket Blast Digital, The Watch Face, and Buy Sell Jobs. Carl co-founded Leap Into and was CMO and interim CTO at LifeWell Limited. At 15, you heard that right, 15, he was the youngest ever brand ambassador for Britain's largest business conference, The Business Show. He's also been directly involved in the European Parliament's roundtable on modernizing Europe's workforce well-being strategy, which we are going to talk about. Carl, welcome to the show. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So for those of us that don't know your background, could you just indulge us and share a little bit about your story? Sure. Yeah. So, um, well, when I was 13, I decided that I wanted to be my own boss and that there wouldn't be uh, kind of any other way. So um, ever since then, I kind of worked, uh, you know, towards making that that happen. Um, So all throughout school and university, I was always much more focused on starting various projects and being involved with various different businesses um, to the point where now only a couple of years after graduating, um, I run a company called Revelancer full time, and we've, we've got a nice big team now. Um, we're, we're a freelancing platform with well over twenty thousand uh, members. Um, so, yeah, I'm very fortunate to be able to really live my dream. Um, but it was a, a, a long time in the making. I mean, most thirteen and fifteen year olds aren't thinking about starting businesses. So, I, I find that incredible. And I have twin teenagers that are turning 15, and they certainly aren't thinking about that. So I'm so interested in what inspired you to really want to make this move, because that's a really big undertaking at that age. Yeah, I think it's it's more just I, I somehow, I don't know quite how, but I somehow realized that I wouldn't really be happy or fulfilled working for someone else. Um, and then well, I thought, you know, there are many, uh, you know, that's not an easy thing to pull off. You need a lot lot of things to work out right for you. Um, and there are many people who are uh, much older than, than 13 who who struggle um, kind of pulling that off. It's not an easy thing to pull off. So I decided, you know, well, I the best thing I can do is to start as soon as possible, um, gain as much experience as possible, meet as many great people as, as I can. Um, and then have the best shot of of pulling it off. And and fortunately, I, you know, was was able to right out of university. Wow. So I hope this isn't a rude question, but how old are you now? Because you've done so much in such a short amount of time. I'm 23 now. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Um, and why freelancing? Well, I guess, I mean, first, of, I, I got into freelancing in the first place, because it was uh, kind of the result of googling how to make money online um, when, when I was much younger. And then I just kind of, you know, I, I see it as a great way of working. I see it as, uh, you know, a way of being your own boss, um, of kind of being the master of your own destiny. Like, yes, the the risk is higher, but also I think the reward is is higher. And, and certainly the kind of quality of life can be a lot higher um but but ultimately it maybe it, it isn't but it's it's you know a big part of it is up to you you're a lot more in control 
And that's what I found very appealing. And then, you know, slowly I kind of realized, well, I can't, um, you know, do everything just by myself. And I have quite, quite um, large ambitions. So, you know, I need to work with other people. So I went more into the kind of route of um, starting companies. But um, I think, you know, freelancers and entrepreneurs have a, a lot in common. I think, in my opinion, freelancers are absolutely on entrepreneurs. So, you know, first I was a freelancer myself and now I want to help other freelancers. And, you know, I mean, ultimately I want to help me um, 10 years ago and, and kind of create a, a brighter future for freelancers. And what did you notice that was wrong with the freelancing landscape? Because I think that was a big inspiration for you starting Revelancer. So talk about that a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Um, so large freelancing platforms like the ones that I joined when I was 13, um, they still operate today the same way they, they did back then. And, and uh, you know, even before that, um, some of these platforms have been around for about 20 years um, and they've always operated the exact same way, which is basically, you know, they connect you as the freelancer with a client and then they take a commission fee on any work that you do. Um, and that commission fee can be quite large. So, um, you know, uh, one of the largest, in fact, yeah, certainly one of the largest freelancing platforms um, that you you might have heard of before called Fiverr, they take 20% commission from the freelancer and 5% from the client. So they're in essence taking about a quarter of every single transaction. And so that's a problem. But, you know, they're connecting you with clients. So sure. you could argue, OK, they also need to make make their card. But yeah, maybe it's a bit much. Um, but where I think the real problem lies is that in order to protect that commission fee, they actually stop you from communicating outside of the platform. So you can't exchange email addresses. You can't video call. Mm. You can't actually communicate with your client properly. So you couldn't um, continue working with a client that you have on your own. You'd have to go back through the system and then they would take more commission. Exactly. And that's what they want. And I, I don't think that's fair. I think the system is broken. So that's why um, I started Revelancer. And what is different about Revelancer? Well, we don't take commission fees and therefore we can allow people to video call and communicate freely and flexibly. That's amazing. I love that. So when you are a CEO of a company, you naturally have to lead people. And, um, you know, I, I speak on leadership all the time. And I think that leadership is, it needs to undergo a massive transformation. I know you work with a lot of mentors and I'm interested in some of your perspective of what was some of your leadership lessons that you've had along the way? Sure. I mean, ultimately, I very much believe in leaving, leading from the front. Uh, so, you know, I see it as my absolute obligation to, you know, if I'm expecting other people to work very hard, then I better work slightly harder than them. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's very important to kind of lead by example. I th also think that um, it's, it's a very good thing to be very kind of fair and, and, and um, sort of fl flexible with people. So you know, for example, if someone's having an, an off day, just let, letting them have a personal day and not kind of making a big fuss over it. I, I think, think, think little things like that, you know, for the company, if someone isn't working on a day, it, in the grand scheme of things, it's negligible. But for that individual, it's, you know, like Thanks. being allowed to take that day out when they really need it, yeah. that's a very nice gesture. And that's going to make them more loyal. It's going to make them happier. It's going to make them more satisfied with their work. So ultimately, I think, you know, and that's just one small example, but I, I really believe that, you know, you need, if you treat people well, then you get the best out of them. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's music to my ears. And this is what I hope 
most leaders understand I'm writing a book right now and it's on this very topic of, you know, how do you create the culture that you want to drive results and um, how important has the role of culture been to your, you and your companies? Oh, very. I mean, um, I see my, you know, role as the CEO and, you know, as being two main parts, like number one is making sure the company doesn't run out of money. Um, and then number two is the company culture. So like kind of setting and maintaining a good company culture. So it's very important to me. Um, we very much follow this saying of, you know, higher, slow, fire, fast. Mm. Um, and it's it's really paid off well. You know, I, I have hired the wrong people um, at, at several points, but every single time we, we dealt with it very fast. And um, the team we have today is, is absolutely fantastic. That's great. Um, so for for founders, I mean, you've you've started a few companies. So for founders, what is some of your advice on how they should go about securing funding? Because I know you've been successful securing large amounts of money. So what tips do you have? Sure. Um, so the first step, and I did this myself as well, is if you've never raised funding before, then speak to someone who has, you know, get advice from some somebody who has um, and learn from them. So I, I did that and that, you know, put me in a, a very strong position to, you know, raise funding very quickly. And then once you have that, well, it's it's kind of just going out there. It's, it's you know, it's, it's like any kind of sales. You need to go out there and, and build relationships you obviously need to really have everything line. So you need to have a very, you know, well thought out business plan, a, a great pitch deck and so on. But ultimately it's just about going out there and having conversations with, with people. I mean, you know, investors are, are people too. Um, so just having very kind of human conversations with them, sharing what you're looking to achieve and then seeing if maybe they, they want to be a part of it. Um, mm -hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I love that you hit hit on the word human. And I think people have misconstrued that business can't be superhuman. And, you know, back in the days when it was um, manufacturing and, you know, orderly and it was a process and there was a lot of that removed. And now we've kind of come full circle and people are really, especially after the pandemic, really they're craving humanity and vulnerability and authenticity and, you know, people that see them and recognize, like you said, I need a day. I need a moment to, to take care of myself or my family or my mental health. And um, I'm so curious about your work with the European Parliament because having this large conversation about workforce well-being, we're seeing it all over. I mean, Deloitte has a chief well-being officer. There's chief people officers that aren't specific to HR. They're really specific to the humanity in the workforce. So can you talk about that work that you're doing with them? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think it's, like you say, of, of very pivotal importance. I think even in, in the past when it wasn't so common, it was important, but but overlooked, which, yeah. you know, now I think things are moving in a, in a much better direction. It's great to see, um, you know, companies, um, governments, just a, a, lots of people kind of taking this um, a lot more seriously. So, yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm involved a, a little bit um, with the European Parliament on that. Um, in fact, there's a, a panel discussion on that next week, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, but it's been great to see. I mean, the, the European Parliament um, tends to be very kind of progressive on a lot of issues like this. What kinds of things are they asking you? 
Well, lots of lots of different things. I mean, you know, kind of running a freelancing platform and, you know, so first of all, like talking to lots of freelancers on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And then also having been through that journey myself, um, I've, I've kind of got a, you know, I guess a bit of a unique perspective on it. So um, it's been really good to, to input, um, you know, where, wherever I can and make a make a difference. I think that's great. So um, can you talk a little bit about the mentors that you've had and the roles that they have played for? I mean, I would imagine at 13, you haven't been to college yet. You you haven't had, you know, your business background yet. You had some real strong intuition. Was Were the mentors playing a role back then? Not really back then. Um, I I mean, back then I was probably quite, quite arrogant. I would have been too arrogant to really, um, you know, make good use of a mentor you know just kind of thinking yeah oh i made a hundred dollars with this website i don't know everything about online business and no one can tell me (laughs) you know anything um but no uh you know kind of as i've uh grown and and matured more um i realized well actually no i i don't know very much at all um but i hope you know nobody knows very much at all but you can you can keep learning um and that's the the important thing um so yeah probably uh more towards when i was like 17 18 kind of time um i started really working with different mentors um i mean one key mentor that i've learned a huge amount from uh, is a guy called matt brady who's a co-founder of just eat which is it's kind of like uber eats before mm-hmm. uber eats in the uk and they're worth billions um they're like the public company um in, in europe now mm-hmm. so he's someone I've, I've worked with i work with a lot of uh, different mentors on a regular basis now and, and different advisors as well um exactly because of of my age kind of and you know and even if if i were a lot older than i am now i would still do the same thing but i realized that at this point my biggest weakness is simply that i don't have decades of industry experience because i can't have yet um but that doesn't mean that i can't work with people who have and and learn from them i I love that you said that and you know one of the things i try and uh, impress upon leaders is that you're never done learning and no nobody knows everything. And if you know everything about a specific job, you're deeply overqualified. But I don't, I even think like the people that are the best, they're, they're the best because they're open and they continue to learn. Um, And they lift people up around them to really kind of pull out the best ideas from the people, you know, in their midst. I think that's, that's really important. So I love that you said that. And I love that you acknowledge that you don't have decades of experience, but you have a ton of experience and your perspective is so different than someone who's been doing this for 30 years or 25 years. Um, I, I think that's just really, really refreshing. So what do, because you're the age you are, what are people getting wrong about your generation? And I know you can't speak for the whole generation, but um, I think there's a fairly uneducated dialogue about, oh, well, millennials or Gen Z are just unmotivated and they're lazy and they don't want to do anything. And I just think that's a really big disservice to a huge population of people that are very driven. Um, so I'd love your perspective. Yeah, I mean, you look at millennials, uh, millennials are responsible for the foundings of, you know, Facebook, Google, um, lots of extremely large companies. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's, it's always going to be a thing, um, kind of, uh, previous generation yeah. um, thinking that the following generations are, are, are lazy. I mean, even mm. the baby boomers, um, you know, were kind of in some ways 
uh, some synonymous with hippies and previous generations thought that they were just lazy and didn't yeah. take things seriously. So I think it's, it's going to be a pattern. I'm sure one day I'll, I'll be ranting about the yeah. coming generations. Um, I already am a little bit, but you know, <laughs> I, I think, um, that's a trend that's going to continue, but I, I, I think, um, where people need to adapt is is it's in you know um treating people more like humans and just yeah. kind of more fairly i think that's where there's kind of a, a disconnect between maybe where older generations um like to be very kind of hierarchical you know right. everyone's wearing a suit you call me son you know that's kind of stuff and young people don't really I, I think awesome. um yeah. yeah exactly it's like don't don't pretend you're but you're better than me kind of thing and um so if we yeah. flip that you know, you working with older people that have been doing this for 25, 30 years, you know, what's your message to, to them of, you know, connecting? And I, I think there's, like we just said, you know, there's an obvious us and them kind of mentality. So, you know, I think just as the younger generation is getting judged, the older generation is being put out to pasture because people are saying you're, you know, you're too old. You can't respond fast enough. You you can't do the things that we need anymore. We need fresh perspective. So what's your view on that? Because you obviously are working with people of all different ages. I think the important thing is is to just um, understand that the, the world is always adapting and yeah. to be aware of that change and to embrace it, you know, because in a lot of cases, you know, can, you know, you, you can't change everything in the world that you don't like. And I think um, it just dig, digging your heels into the sand. And if, you know, lots of people like working a certain way and just because you, you know, um, over your 40 years in business or something didn't do things that way, but this is now the way things are done. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to just learn to adapt. Um, it's a very, very key thing. Uh, so yeah, that's what, what I would say to, to anyone. It's always keep adapting, keep learning. And Cool. Yeah. So I would be crazy to not hit on this topic um, because you have a degree in AI and robotics, but dare we talk about ChatGPT and the role of AI because it is everywhere and the news is hyping it like crazy. So I know you have some thoughts on this. I'd love, love you to share. Sure. Um, yeah, so ChatGPT, I think in... In a lot of ways, there are reasons to be concerned, but then equally in a lot of ways, I think um, it's comp like ChatGPT in particular is completely overblown. Um, I think like re a reason, like things to be concerned about definitely are um, the automation of, of um, jobs. And I'm not so much talking about ChatGPT now. I'm talking about things like self-checkouts in supermarkets. Yeah. You know, that's not using AI, no. but still it's a relatively simple machine that can replace dozens of jobs in stores, and and the and the problem, uh, you know, or, or like dozens of jobs in a single store, um, and the problem with things like that is the kind of pool of jobs that most humans can do more efficiently or uh, better or cheaper than a machine um, is shrinking. And yes, other jobs are being created. Um, that's a common like kind of counterpoint. Yeah. But the thing is like jobs have a high education standard so for example oh who's developing the ai like okay yeah but that's not some you know you if a self-checkout takes your job as a as, as a cashier and you don't have that sort of education level um saying oh why don't they just become an ai engineer and it's not just not realistic um so i think there are 
reasons to, to be concerned. Um, I don't think enough is being done. I think there needs to be a lot more thoughts and regulation about it now because it is something that's going to happen. It's a trend that's already starting very much. I mean, with ChatGPT specifically, I think that is uh, overhyped. Um, I think it's a, I would describe it predominantly as a toy that can be a useful tool if you are already an expert within a given field. And what I mean by that is, um, sort of AI chatbots are, are prone to hallucination, um, which is essentially where they'll just start making things up. Um, so and a good example of this is where um, ChatGPT was used uh, in a medical, um, kind of a specialist uh, medical do doctor's exam, where it was given a list of symptoms and it had to diagnose a patient based on that. Um, and there were three questions. Um, the first question where it got the list of symptoms, it diagnosed the patient correctly. Um, in the second one, it diagnosed the patient incorrectly. And then in the third question, it made up a condition like that fit that list of symptoms and then said that the patient had this. And the reason why I say, you know, you kind of need to be an expert in your field for ChatGPT to be a useful tool is because you need to be a specialist doctor in order to yeah. spot that so you can quality control. Wow. So, wow. Yikes. I mean, that. so that's a great example because I know a lot of people are playing with it right now. They're using it to write content. They're using it for articles. They're, you know, really kind of enjoying it. And um, I think people are taking it pretty seriously. They, they're believing everything that comes out of the tool. So that is very eye-opening. Thank you for sharing that. That's alarming. <laughs> Absolutely. There was also recently, a uh, very recent, I think just in the, in the past few weeks, a case in, in the U.S. where, um, lawyers use ChatGPT to kind of prepare their defense or no i think it was the prosecution but re regardless um yeah it it um took what it, the output that it generated and submitted that to the judge and it had completely fabricated a bunch of um, legal cases to and outcomes of legal cases to strengthen its its argument but again you know it's it's predictive text it's not a a thinking sentient thing right. it it puts words in an order that probably makes sense and read well, but it doesn't, yeah. you know, fact check or anything. Well, so, yeah. I, I spent 23 years at IBM. And so I was around during the whole Jeopardy craze and Watson. And, you know, we, we were working very closely with the Mayo Clinic and some other really big medical um, journals. And every time they would do diagnostic, they would give a probability and they would say, you know, this is a 86% likely diagnosis of this, but it, deferred to the expert and it was not to replace a doctor it was to assist and i think it's a great reminder that that's how you should use it and um maybe everybody could calm down a little bit about you know <laughs> it's not taking everybody out at the knees it is a tool and it is used to assist not to yes. drive yeah. absolutely yeah that's that's crazy okay so um what inspires you i i want to realize my my own potential. Um, I want to do useful things. I want to do something that helps a lot, lot of people on a large scale, um, and I want to enjoy doing it. You know, so the, and those are all three things that I feel that I have with what I'm doing at the moment. But what makes your heart go pitter patter? Like, what do you, what do you love to work on? What makes you smile? What, what makes you tick? Well, it really comes down to solving complicated problems that and then really seeing a positive impact in people's lives as, as a result of that um you know and my my big goal with Revelance is to 
permanently change the freelancing industry for the better. And, you know, and while that's still some way away, you know, we're certainly making progress and, um, and that's a really rewarding experience. That's great. And um, what would you like your legacy to be? I, I don't know. I would like to have done, you know, useful things um, that help people. Um, and yeah, I'd be, I'd be pr- pretty happy with that, to be honest. Well, it has been a pleasure, Carl. Thank you so much for being on and sharing all of your your wisdom at the ripe old age of 23. I wish I had your wisdom at 23. I'd be in a much different place now, but I am um, extremely impressed and I hope the audience really enjoyed all of this. How do people find you? Oh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, if you want to find me, um, if you look me up on LinkedIn, that's probably the best way to contact me. And if you're interested in Revelancer, then, you know, Google that or go to revelancer.com and you'll be able to find it. Great. And we'll share all of that with the audience. Thank you so much for being our guest. And everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. More to come soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat for Hire. If you like what you hear, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me on Insta or at LinkedIn at Lindsay Dowd, H4H, or you can reach me at my website, heartbeatforhire.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.